All right, everybody. As a special part of our January 1st New Year's episode, we've gotten the inimitable Rob Davio back to talk about a project he's got coming up that we're all a little bit interested in. It took us a significant amount of technological travail to get this interview actually connected tonight, but it seems appropriate because this is a high-tech game that we're talking about. And it is, if you haven't guessed already, Return to Dark Tower. Rob, welcome back. Thank you very much. For those who don't know anything about Return to Dark Tower, you must have not been on the internet in any game-related capacity lately. Dark Tower was a classic game of my childhood, which was probably not all that great as a game, but it had the massive dark obelisk in the center of this very sophisticated computer that would beep and boop at you and occasionally give you some numbers when you were fighting the brigands and such that were defending the tower and the first one to get through the tower's fight won. You can hear us talking about this in our Batteries Included episode, which is way back in like episode two or so. Rob and Restoration Games and some other well-known folks have decided to get together and bring this one into the 21st century. And having seen a prototype at PAX Unplugged just recently, I can tell you this game looks like it's going to be insanely cool. So, Rob, can you give us sort of an overview of what you've got going on and what the objectives were in designing this one? Yeah, this one's been this one's been big. It's been about three years, I think, since we started it. And we got Isaac Childress as a code designer. He did this little game called Gloomhaven, I think. Heard of it. It might catch on soon. It's getting some traction. Then we've had like Justin Jacobson, the president of the company, and a couple other designers and developers. And I think we've got about 15 people working on this. We have a software engineer, a mechanical engineer, a cost expert, a UX, UI person, a programming team in Iceland. It's the usual board game design. Sounds pretty fancy. Yeah, this has been fancy. I mean, as you said, the original game in 1981 was sort of revolutionary in that you had this electronic tower in the middle of the board that would sort of facilitate play. It kept track. It knew how many warriors you had. It knew how much food you had. It would facilitate battles. It was sort of a living event deck. And it had this slideshow that would spin around. And it was cutting edge at the time and, and completely irrelevant right now if we put something out that did that. So we had to go back and say, what would be a cutting edge experience in, well, 2019, but 2020 now? And that would sort of live up to the original in spirit. And that's what we're about to unveil. Yeah, it's super exciting. Like I said, I got to see it a little bit. I didn't get to play, but I watched some other folks play at uh, PAX Unplugged just recently. And from a distance, it looks a lot like the original game. The tower's a little fancier, but the board looks very similar. Structurally, you've got the little plastic building sticking up through the board and the four different quadrants and this big ominous tower in the middle. But as you get closer and you start looking at the character mats and the different powers and cards and special abilities, there's obviously an awful lot more game here than there was originally. There is. I mean, that's what we wanted is we wanted to be as good as you remember, which doesn't necessarily mean it's as good as it was, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people who played it haven't played it in 30 years and would go back and go, oh, well, it's still fun for me because I played it as a kid, but it hasn't lived up. So we have the round board. We have the tower in the middle. We have the four kingdoms, the four plastic buildings that start on the board, et cetera. But it's very different. It's a cooperative game for starters, although we're kind of working on a competitive version because a number of people are asking for it. And the idea was the tower was sealed up long ago with these seals, you know, these doors and their chains. Everything's been fine. And of course, evil never comes back in an inopportune time. But in this <laughs> case, it did. And sort of the doors are coming off and the tower's coming to life. And what happens is at the beginning of the game, there is a nemesis of a bad guy who's taken residence inside the tower. And there are a number of them. And each one of them has sort of a different way that they want to corrupt or pollute the world. And then one of the sort of companion NPCs has a plan 
of how to get into the tower and sort of flush the nemesis out so you can defeat them. And so you take the companion's quest and the nemesis's quest and then it randomly generates some monster and you end up with one of like five or six thousand different combinations of what sort of game you're going to get. So it will tell you at the beginning, here's your goal. Here's how you have to get into the tower or here's how we're going to break the tower or otherwise lure the adversary. So I call it the lure the adversary out. So one of them is we're going to cut off the supply wagons that's going there. And another one is a person says, if you bring me these five treasures, I can create a spell that will teleport the person outside. And one of the adversaries is the Bane of Omens. He's a master assassin. So if he's in the tower, paranoia starts going through the land. It starts becoming unsafe to be inside buildings. Whereas if it's the Empress of Shade, she's launching plague. And I have a passing level of experience with games that involve pandemics. (laughs) So how the board's fighting back and what you have to do are different. And it really depends. There are brigands. That's one of the first level monsters. So you might get brigands at the beginning. You know, there's a big difference between getting brigands or getting oryx or, you know, sometimes you get a dragon, sometimes you don't. You do that, you get some treasures, everyone has some powers. And really, it's a little bit of a puzzle to solve to figure out, can we do what it takes to get this adversary out and defeat them within six game months, which is about 48 game turns, give or take, just a little under 50. And roughly how long does that equate to in human time? About an hour and a half to two hours, you know, the usual, the first time you play, it'll be a little longer. Sure. You know, that's what I noticed when I demo is the first game month where everyone takes two turns is like half an hour. And I always go, uh-oh. And then the second month is eight minutes. Right. right? Once there's like, I know what to do on my turn. The different character stuff looks very interesting. I really was interested to see how the combat system works. From what I can tell, it's basically app-driven. You sort of draw a certain number of virtual cards on the app, and then depending on what sort of combat advantages you have, you can sort of spend them to make the results on those cards better. Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly it. Each foe, you'll draw anywhere from two to five cards, depending on the difficulty of the foe, and all of them are bad. And there are... If you want to abstract it down, there are eight to 10 cards in each person's deck going from not that bad to pretty bad. And after you've drawn them, depending on how good you are against that foe, it might be like uh, brigands are humanoid and they're melee. And if you have two advantages in melee, you can improve the cards by tapping on them. And so it might say lose 10 warriors and then you tap and it says lose five and then you tap it again and it says no losses. So certain people are good against certain foes. And to some extent, here's a deck of 10 cards, draw two in the physical world, but you couldn't improve them. And we can do all sorts of cool stuff since they're digital cards, which is, let's say you fail a quest and some evil spell is cast on the land. Well, now all of the undead foes cards actually start one level deproved. So you have to spend an advantage just to get them back to like where they were, or we can take cards out. We can put cards in. We can say that the brigands have kidnapped someone. You have to find them. And now one of the cards is the person that you need to rescue. So you have to keep fighting until you find the cards. And having this virtual world of cards and encounters that can be upgraded and removed and replaced and have these effects gives us this giant toolbox to play around with each foe to make them feel different, not only from game to game, but within a game. It sounds like you're terrifying large space to occupy. Yeah, we're game to game. (laughs) Are you including like, no, 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 (laughs) no, no, please, no, No. we're not not doing the L word. Uh, people have asked about it. There's no legacy components right now. There's a triangle of things that we have. You have the tabletop, as we call it, which is your cards and your pieces and the things on the board, and you have the app, which drives a lot of the logic, but then you have the tower itself. 
and the tower itself is motorized and it has lights and it has sounds and it's talking via Bluetooth to the app. So they're in communication with each other and there is a lot going on there and we can definitely do new things with the app or we could do a campaign or a, you know, a special quest, a holiday quest, you know, rescue Santa or whatever we wanted to do at a later time. But there are no plans right now for a legacy version of this. Hopefully this is such gangbusters and everyone loves it that they're clamoring for it and then we can revisit it. But not right say, now. Make that the really far end stretch goal. Uh, <laughs> yes. They want to actually finish their game. Yeah, okay. already, they're already spinning half a dozen plates. It's this. It's the stretch goal after Rob gets to take a year off and not think about it, and then come back and do the legacy fair. game. I suppose that's fair. It looks at first glance like the tower is just sort of like a fancy dice tower. You have these little plastic skulls, which presumably are doing bad things to your territory, and you drop them in the top, and sometimes they come out. But there's also, what, like 12 or 16 doors on the tower that will periodically open and spill horrible things out onto your territory? Yeah, there are 16 openings in the tower. So each kingdom has four. And the bottom one is always open. At the start of the game, those are the ones where the seals have already broken. And the other three are closed. And as you said, um, when you take a turn, at the end of your turn, you drop a, a little plastic skull into the top of the tower. And we have a IR beam at the top. So when you drop it in, it breaks the beam and then it tells the app, hey, someone just took a turn. And we'll get to that in a minute. When it goes in, it might rattle around and come out an opening and whatever kingdom it comes out on, it has to go onto a building, one of the four buildings. And that shows sort of a general corruption in the land. And when you go to a building with a skull, it's harder to get troops or buy treasures or whatever you want to do in that building. There's sort of like an increased cost because the populace is distrustful and overall suspicious. It might get stuck behind a door, but behind the doors, not all of them have an opening. Sometimes they have a glyph. So as you're playing the game and it triggers the IR beam, occasionally the tower will say, okay, thank you. You've just had a turn. Now I'd like to have a turn. You know, let's have the brigands (laughs) attack. Let's summon a dragon, let's do a bunch of things where the tower basically runs through its agenda. And again, one of the nice things about having it be digital is as you succeed or fail in quests or do different things, there's this dynamic event deck that's taking things in, taking things out, moving things around, upgrading, downgrading. So your actions are affecting the future actions in the game. One of the things that'll tell you is take a door off And the doors will do this light show and the sound show, and then one of them will start glowing. And when you pick it up, there might be just an empty alcove behind there, or six skulls might spill out and immediately need to be placed somewhere. Or you might see a glowing glyph, and the glowing glyph ties into it, makes it harder to do some of the actions you want to do in the game. So let's say you get a glowing glyph, it makes it harder for you to fight. No, you're not doomed for the rest of the game, because like the original game, all of these three levels in the tower rotate. At various times during the game, they will start rotating. So the glyph that makes it hard to fight will move from the Northern Kingdom maybe over to the Eastern Kingdom. But something that's delightful fun for me as a designer, not as fun as a player, sometimes when it rotates, you just get this spray of skulls from an (laughs) otherwise closed alcove sort of just dumps into your kingdom as it goes by. And if it's one or two, it's annoying, but sometimes you get a nice, here's six skulls that you have to deal with right now. And each building can hold three skulls. That's the maximum number of corruption. If it would get a fourth, it gets destroyed. Then the hero who owns that kingdom takes a personal corruption. If any hero gets a third personal corruption, the game is over in a loss. They sort of fall into the tower. You can also gain it if you ever go into battle and you can't pay the cost. Or you can't pay the cost in general. Most of the time it's in battle. So I go in, I'm going to fight. I say, oh, 
right, I don't have any advantages against ogres. This was probably a bad idea. Oh, I have to lose 40 warriors. I have five. <laughs> you take a personal corruption. So whenever you lose your last warrior or lose a city under your control, you gain a personal corruption. That sounds horrible. I love it. Yeah. I don't know if you want to go too far behind the magic, but the distribution of the skulls, is that sort of a mechanized the tower can control where they go, or is that still just kind of random dice towery? That's random dice tower, and I okay. have spent already a good hour or two with my version of the tower, which is a 3D printed one, just dropping skulls. You drop 50 skulls in, record where they all come out. Drop 50 skulls in and start doing aggregates, and it's a pretty even distribution. Well, good. Yeah, I am curious about the tower a little more, if you don't mind. Yeah. The original mechanism, which I've torn apart, had this amazing single motor design. And it looks like that's changed to possibly be a three motor design. It is. I'm not the engineer. Oh, okay. so we, we have a team of people working in England who are the industrial engineers and electronic engineers, the mechanical engineers. And right now we have two different manufacturers in China looking at it for like the final bid. And then once they get it and we say, okay, this is yours, they will then spend four to 12 weeks going through and saying things like, why do you have two motors here? Why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And sort of trying to smooth it. I mean, we're trying to make it as you know dependable as possible, but the manufacturer makes these sorts of things all the time and they will find further opportunities to refine it. And yeah, three motors will be far stabler than the original, which yet yeah, always worried me. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the many things that keeps me up on, you know, night. This is having some catastrophic motor failure in X percentage of the tower. So we're taking the time to really do a lot of drop tests and motor tests. And you know, I'm sticking my finger in the tower when it rotates <laughs> to make, you know, no, and then the, and then it has to tell the phone like, oh, hey, whoa, there's stop, a jam. Stop. <laughs> right? I need to and fix then this how, right how do you unjam it? And, you know, how does it keep going? And when you turn it on, it has to let you know, we don't think you have enough batteries to finish a whole game. Please change them now. Like there's all sorts of new things, which is kind of fun after 21 years of making games to have like new problems and new opportunities. Yeah. But cardboard yeah. doesn't have these issues. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't do as much, but it doesn't need as much, I guess. Yeah. And congrats, you're a toy designer now. <laughs> yeah. Well, did work at Hasbro for a long time. So it was yeah, there's that. the type of thing that I was aware of. But at Hasbro, I go, I want a tower that does this. And then a whole engineering department would build it. And two months later, they're like this. I go, great. Yeah. And now it's like, I say, I want to do this. And someone's like, who's making that? I'm like, oh, I have to find someone. Oh. <laughs> Any other sensors or weird powers you put in there? I know at one point you had the doors pop off by themselves, but that just yeah, it, got painful. Well, yeah. And so instead of it lighting up and you removing the door, we thought it'd be neat if the door was sort of breaking these seals and shedding them. And that's Gen Con, what we were testing. And there were, I think, about three things that were wrong with it. One, each one was an electromagnet, which added just a lot of cost. Sure. The second thing was everyone walking by would be like, oh, look, they're beating the tower. It's falling apart. As opposed to the tower waking, it looked like the tower was decaying. And the third and the biggest one is this door would fall off, land on the board and scatter your pieces and the buildings and the skulls all over the place. And you had to like reset the board and you couldn't remember who was where. Where was that monster? Uh, Yeah. So we removed that. We said, no, it'll light up and you remove it. And there's still a good bit of drama and tension around it. But you're not going to have the door fall off in the middle of your board. Now what I'm really visualizing is in another 20 years, when we do the return to return to Dark Tower, Tower will be made of nanomaterials and it'll just morph to reveal the new openings. Yeah. And then it'll be talking directly to the implant in your head. Exactly. Yeah. 
One thing I was a little curious about is obviously you've been a very successful game designer for a while now. And, you know, when you've got somebody else like Isaac Childress involved in the design, and as you said, a big team of folks, what was the division of labor like? I mean, did you say do the character stuff and he did the tower logic or was it more organic or? It was more organic. Well, we spent 2016 coming up with an idea that ultimately we realized wasn't going to quite work. We kept pushing stuff onto the app and finally we were like, we're making an app game. And Mm -hmm. so we had to go back and say, this triangle is the tower, the phone, and the board all need to be equally important. And you're not looking at one without the other and you can't leave one in the box and one isn't like, why is this here? And so we started rebuilding it, what eventually became the version that we have now. And so Isaac just sort of one day birthed a lot of the systems that got us started the cooperative and buildings and skulls coming out and going on buildings and things like that. And we just went around and around and around for about a year doing the usual development things. And about a year ago, we realized that the game was probably a little too complex. The original game was kind of a beer and pretzels game. And we're like, this is probably a bit too much. So we decided that we were going to do a more basic game and then a more advanced game. So we started working on simplifying the game that I'm talking about now, which is actually fairly straightforward. Like, it's not hard to play, but we're discovering it's hard to play well, which I like. Cool. Like, everyone was losing on all the demos. We're like, <laughs> oh, we made it too hard. So then Isaac and myself and, like, two of the developers sat down, and we won handily in four months. And we're like, okay, it's not too hard. It's just a game that you have to, like, play a while to get good at. Like most good co-ops, it seems impossible when you start. Right. So we felt good about that. And so... Right around Gen Con, we kind of had the version that we have now. I mean, it had a little bit more and it was going through the usual development. And Isaac said that he had to go off and get some stuff ready, which is ultimately what he announced as Frosthaven. And I think he's working on a different Gloomhaven thing. Um, yeah, the Shadow of the Lion or whatever it is. The yeah. Intro yeah. Gloomhaven Light. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I knew it was. I couldn't remember if it was public. So I he had mentioned there for a second. <laughs> so he sort of had to, not, I don't want to say back away, but say, okay, design's done. You're going into development. And this was like in September. So we went off to that. And so I said, okay. And I took the team and we got very serious about what's the terminology and, you know, like what's the treasure cards. And we've been doing a lot of refining, keeping him apprised. He played it at PAX Unplugged. And he's like, yeah, I like where this went. And then, so that was all locked in. And then we could pick up the advanced game now and add back in some of the things that we had taken out and be working on that. So on the Kickstarter, you can buy the regular game and then you can buy the advance pack, which makes the game longer, but adds more combos and complex powers and treasures and things that you need to just be a more of a hardcore gamer for. How many expansion packs are you thinking for the Kickstarter? Is it just going to be the one or are you thinking about multiple tiers? Like it seems like the game is relatively extensible related to like, oh, hey, I have the Tomb of the Lost King expansion. And it has these enemies in it or whatever. It's always interesting when you're putting together a Kickstarter because... People want to have a lot of different options, but as a publisher, I don't want to make 19 different things that all have to work together. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the game, and then we're going to have a better name than Advanced Pack. But the Advanced Pack, which will give you two new characters and some new rules for advanced play and a few more treasures, then although the buildings are plastic and the heroes are plastic, the monsters are cardboard in the base game, but then you can buy a package with something like 85 miniatures for oh, all no. the monsters. Jason, oh, that's you. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you, but oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they look cool, too. You're complaining. I'll be not I'll helping. Be... No, I'm, I'm helping no. me, which was that's the whole fair. point there. 
Uh, it had me and, a giant plastic tower, so. <laughs> and, and then there might be like a few other things. Like, do you want a neoprene mat instead of a cardboard board and stuff? But we're going to try to do a bundle pack of, and I know I'm forgetting something. The main game, the advanced game, and the miniatures pack is going to be like bundle pack and get them all. And it's going to be like one third off buying them separately. Is the primary source of randomness the app, right? Because obviously you have the skulls falling, which are kind of a secondary source of randomness. But is the primary source of randomness going to be coming from the app? The places of randomness are where the skulls come out, as you said, the combat itself. Uh, mm-hmm. So like what you pick and how you deal with it. The treasures, there's a limited treasure market. There's only three at a time and there's a potion deck, like which potions come out. Other than that, there isn't much randomness. There's stuff that you don't know. Like the app knows exactly which foes are coming out when and where, mm-hmm. but you don't know it. Right. And if you play the same quest again, there will be some variety. You're like, okay, we're going to get Ogre over here. Oh, no, it's over here now. Like it'll, before the game starts, it'll sort of generate the spawn points from a limited subsection. So if you play the same thing again, it won't be the exact same thing. That's another side thing in the advanced game. There's a companion you can get who's an oracle. What I love about the companions is the app knows that you have this companion because you go on a quest and you get the companion. And so it puts events in every once in a while. Like if you have this wizard, they'll just be like, oh, hey, I just cast a spell. Pick a foe and I'll kill it. And you're like, oh, great. Thank you very much. Right? Like he'll, they'll good. just pop up with good events. And I love the fact that there's an oracle in there. So if you get the oracle, we haven't done all of the exact details on it, but you get the oracle and then it'll say something like, in the fifth month, three dragons will appear in the east. Like it will start looking ahead and telling <laughs> you what's in the event deck. Nice. Oh, that is cool. That's pretty good. Yeah. I was looking at some gameplay videos uh, from PAX Unplugged. And as a person who's constantly screwed by dice, I appreciate that you have a lot of mitigation abilities in the game from the advantages to, uh, I think my favorite one was being able to take a skull and feed it back to the tower. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, There's nothing that lets you feed it back. I mean, you can make an offering or something like that. Oh, oh, the dark offerings. Yeah, those are fun. Yeah. Again, um, people will see on Kickstarter. It's not called a dark offering anymore. (laughs) finalized nomenclature is on my to-do list. Right. <laughs> um, just like we were talking about how you can improve the cards to make them easier for you. So, you know, you go from 10 warrior loss to five, lose five warriors to nothing. And actually you can go above that, which is something that's fun. If once you get to no losses and you go above it, it says like, you find a treasure, draw a treasure. So once you stop having losses, you can go up and start getting loot drops. The cards also can go down in level and get worse and worse and worse. And that will happen in the game if you take too long to clear all of a certain type of foe off the board. Like let's say you have shadow wolves and you're just leaving them there because you don't care about them. They'll level up. And now when you go to hit them, all of their cards are one level harder. So the final adversary starts with all of their cards maximum leveled up. Like they are as hard as it comes to defeat them. But during the game, you can go on a quest and you can take a skull and you can sort of put it in the tower to create like a spell of binding or weakening on the adversary in there. And it will basically de-level them. It'll level them down. And you can do that up to four times. And if you do it all four times, which would be very hard to do, given the other stuff we're throwing at you, when the final adversary comes out, they should be relatively easy to handle. And if you do it none times, well, that'll be fun. Yeah. (laughs) And do you know which adversary you're up against at the start of the game? Does this Yeah, yeah. The, the way it starts is you can say like, oh, we've never played against the Bane of Omens. Let's do the Bane of Omens. And oh, I like this quest with Miris the Horse Lords. This is the one where we're sort of attacking caravans. So you can just boop, boop and pick them mm. and then go. Or you can just say, shuffle it up and give me a random one. And it'll just pick two for you. Nice. But kind of like the Cthulhu Death May Die. Yeah, I absolutely realized a month ago I was ripping myself off. 
<laughs> oh, so that was one of your contributions to it was the split and some uh, well eric and i yeah like also i was like oh no wait i got this idea like the half of it is the adversary and have and i like basically reinvented the same conversation <laughs> eric and i had 20 months ago you're not ripping yourself off you're evolving your idiom yeah i'm riffing i'm riffing yeah. on a new thing that i want to explore i'm like look reiner Kanizia has made a career out of the numbers <laughs> one through 10. Mm-hmm. And he's been very good at it. He keeps finding new things to do there. So I, I can do this little trick twice. So as far as ripping people off, oh. <laughs> the, whole, the whole dropping skulls is obviously, you know, from which, which. Uh, okay. So I have no idea. Actually, we just, they were crystals. They were cubes. They were things. And then Noah, one of our developers, kept calling them skulls. And we were on a panel at Gen Con. Like, should they be skulls? And everyone went, yeah. And we're like, all right, they'll be skulls. Like, that was the... <laughs> That was the knowledge. It was not from Witch Witch. Justin said that one of the games on his list was an old game called Deschlachter Dinosaurier. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that was designed by Steve Baker. He was my boss for 10 years at Hasbro. Yeah, no, so I know you're aware of that game. Oh, I've never played it, but I'm aware oh, wow. of it. wow. Okay. It's kind of like Battle Masters, except it does have this mechanic where you drop a fireball into a volcano. Sometimes it comes out and goes back into play. Sometimes it doesn't. So, wow, that you're not aware of it's kind of amusing. I mean, I'm aware of it. I've seen pictures of it. I haven't played yeah. it, but no, I did not remember the fireball. I've, I did enough fireballs on the island a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, there's that. But uh, this gives you an idea of what our podcast is like. Every time one of us says, well, I think this is the first thing that X happened. And Frank was like, no, there's a Lithuanian game from 1972 that did that. So everything um, old is yeah, new this again. is This is some deep knowledge. I wish I had time to play games. That sounds fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Highly recommended. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm super excited about this, and I can't wait for the Kickstarter to start. And it's going to be mid-January? It is January 14th. It'll run towards the end of the month. It'll be three weeks long. The base game will be, well, it's $150 retail. It'll be $125 on Kickstarter. Oh, I wasn't sure you had pricing nailed down yet. Well, cool. we, that is subject to a slight change. It's either going to be $125 or $130, depending on that final quote that comes back from China. I mean, we've gotten preliminary quotes and we not mm-hmm. too much has changed, but if they go in there and also find something they hadn't and there's some surprises, it might change by $5. So is there anything else coming up that you want to talk about? Is there like maybe a season three of something we should be on the lookout for? Oh uh, yeah, to shift gears. Yeah, the <laughs> Pandemic Legacy is what you're talking about? Maybe, or, that would be a good example. Talking, or were you talking Death May Die? I have I mean, two games that have seasons <laughs> one and two. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, Ooh. I was thinking about Pandemic Legacy, but let's hear it. Pandemic Legacy Season 3, Matt and I finished last summer. Z-Man has had the game since then. It has currently been through editing and art and everything else and is somewhere between localization and preliminary manufacture. I do not have a date. If I did, and they told me I couldn't say it, I wouldn't say it. I have a vague sense of when it's going to come out. It's not going to be this Christmas. Not going to be within a week. (laughs) I think what actually happened is with season two, there was some manufacturing difficulties. The the dossiers, like they made the doors too big. So the glue in between, because you have to hold sort of the frame down, but let the doors open and the glue was bleeding onto the doors. And they had to scrap a great number of them and do them over again. And it sort of delayed things a month. I think what Z-Man is correctly doing is waiting through all the manufacturers done and stuff's going on to a boat, which means it'll still be six to eight weeks or 12 weeks away or like they've crossed that line and then they're going to sort of announce it then when they have confidence. Makes sense. 
Oh, and by the way, it's probably too late for pandemic, but since you have all of these high-tech people involved now, can mm-hmm. someone invent a better solution than the scratch-off silver boxes? Because <laughs> I still have silver powder and my Gabriel carpet, and I think I will until I move out. You're welcome. <laughs> um, no, Matt and I got kind of carried away with that trick. There's a lot less scratch-off in season three, like a significantly less scratch-off. I think at one point we had none, yeah. and then we got some back in because we realized we kind of overdid it in season two, and a lot of people were complaining like it was like a glitter bomb <laughs> in game form. Uh, Sandy will be disappointed. I think that was her favorite part of the game. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, what we want to do is to make each one of them feel and play differently. Sure. Each one should tell its own story. Each one should have slightly different mechanisms and you don't feel like you're just signing up to play the exact same game again. And it is a trilogy. Matt and I have no plans to do a fourth after this. The third one took longer to do just because we kept saying, oh, we did that. We did that. And then when you create a world, you're like, oh, but we already set up in season one that this is the truth in this world. So we have to change this story point and things like that. So we really feel like we've told the story we want to tell. And hopefully we stick the landing. It took a while to figure out how to get the Ewoks in. That was the hardest part. Yeah, I I think being able to say this was a three-part story and we're done now is a good sign. I mean, I would buy as many seasons of it as you made, but I like the fact that you're putting a nail in it and saying it's done. Yeah, I think they just get harder and harder to do. And I've seen so many TV series or movie series that I love not stick the ending because endings are hard. Mm Mm-hmm. And the more you do, the harder it is to wrap it all up. I mean, I loved Lost. I don't think they did a good job. I don't think Game of Thrones did a good job. Sometimes it's in tone. Sometimes it's in execution. Sometimes it's in detail. I thought the Marvel movies did a great job. Mm -hmm. So is there, in fact, something more to report on Cthulhu Death May Die? Is there a third season of that on the horizon? Um, It is fresh and coming out, and I have been very pleased with the reaction it's getting. Because Eric and I sat down and said, let's do a pulpy, weird version. I think we said at the beginning, imagine that when the X-Files came out, another network said, we need a competing show, but with Cthulhu Miss, and we'll get this young director, Quentin Tarantino, to do it. (laughs) And that was sort of our mandate. And so we designed it that way. And I expected a lot of people to just be like, what was this? But people are having a good time. I saw Eric at both BGG Con and PAX Unplugged. And he's like, you know, if this keeps going well, you're going to get a knock on your door for more. I'm like, no, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. That is a very good problem to have. Absolutely. Yeah, I heard the pitch was more, hey, do you want to do a game about shooting Cthulhu in the face? That's where it started. (laughs) Eric said, do you want to do that? And we're like, okay. And I'm like, but what does that mean? And I think at some point it was like Kill Cthulhu and then it became Kill Bill. And like, is this a Tarantino (laughs) film? Like how how much do we have to tell a story versus how much is it the action? And, you know, we just went around and around and around and did the usual game design thing. We came up with a system and it was fairly well divided. Eric did the characters and the elder ones. And I did all the scenarios. You pick this elder and you pick this scenario. You're like, I'll take this from Eric and this from Rob. Let me ask you this. I've had a box of season two staring me in the face at my friendly local game store. How pertinent should it be that I pick up season one first? For Cthulhu? Or yes. For, yeah, okay. Just not pandemic. Require, um, required. No, it is not required. What we decided oh, really? was it wasn't linear. It didn't go together. It was every episode was a monster of the week episode, like from a 90s TV show, like from a Buffy or a X-Files. Like there wasn't an overarching plot for a little bit. I talked about trying to make season two a little more coherent. It takes place in different locations in the U.S. It starts in Chicago and ends in L.A. And the idea was it would be like a train going across the country and you're slowly heading west. So if you play season two 
in order it goes like chicago and then kansas and then like the rockies and then like nevada so that the remnants of that is still in there Mm -hmm. and i kind of pictured having a map on the top we really just didn't want to do anything linear but season two has a big subtle linear coherence but each one is just meant to be played independently and they get wackier and wackier and if you did the kickstarter you get the two lost episodes three lost episodes those were a lot of fun those are the ones that were too dumb and get cut (laughs) well i gotta tell you it's got a two foot tall cthulhu mini that goes with it i think Mm -hmm. and that thing is impressive yeah jason you should buy that (laughs) i i wouldn't know i don't have one (laughs) Oh my gosh. It is like they put it on display and I saw it and I'm like, well, how can I get Jason in here to buy this thing? (laughs) Exactly. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. (laughs) No, I've been waiting for it to be in full stock. And then I'm going to say to Simon, like, okay, time for all my designer copies. Yeah, where's mine? (laughs) Yeah, where's it? Which which will be in January. Like it came out and I rather have it get into stores and do everything and everyone gets through Christmas and stuff. And then in January I go, all right, here's my address. (laughs) nice okay well that's good to know because that has been the one thing really stopping me from pulling the trigger on that one there's this guy named brian neff and i am working with him a lot he was the lead haunt writer on betrayal legacy he's doing work on the quest for return to dark tower and he helped me a lot on the scenarios and episodes for death may die he's a good resource that i have so if you're a game designer or developer and you want someone who does a nice blend of role-playing in mechanisms i recommend brian he and I had a lot of fun laughing on those episodes and creating. We talked about A plots and B plots. Like each one was literally an hour long TV show that we were sort of plotting out. And what I like about that game is if you really read all the discovery cards in an episode, there's a whole little story that's going on that you as the players are interrupting. Hmm. Nice. All right. Well, unless anybody has anything else, I think we can let Rob get back to hopefully taking a slight break from game development. I know you're a very, no, very no, popular I, I, man. You know, after this, tonight's just going to be uh, some catching up on television with my wife. We work together. We've been busy. I think this is the first night. It's the two of us with no plans in six weeks. So. That sounds fantastic. And I, I don't think we should keep you from it any longer. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, yep. having me on. Thanks thank a lot, you. Rob. Uh, you. Looking you, forward Rob. to seeing it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. January 14th. Last night, I journeyed backwards in time to the medieval world of Dark Tower. In this amazing game, I had to find three keys, lay siege to the tower, and defeat the enemy within. Each move was a challenge. The computer kept track, giving me secret information, pictures, sounds, surprises. Then, ahead of my opponent, I made my move. The battle was joined. I was victorious. Dark Tower from MB Electronics.